Hi folks, how's the form? Welcome to a, a special episode of GA Embedded. I am delighted to be joined by Eamon McGee, the former Donegal footballer. Eamon, how are things over there? Good, Mark. Good, Mark. I'm just, uh, we're all getting geared up for, for ha- Halloween here now. Um, so if we're, we're at the house here, so if we're interrupted by uh, two uh, <laughs> crazies, then you'll, we'll just have to adjust, all right? Come here, I was... Um... I was looking back, researching for this interview over our Twitter, Twitter interactions just to see where I, th- I thought we'd start. And uh, mm. I suppose there's only one place, really. Did you, uh, did you enjoy Atomic Habits or did you finish it? Maybe this is a more important question. I, I'm actually going through it. You know, um, I'm actually going through it. I think there is a few very good pieces from it and a few very good kind of wee, wee nuggets now, but it's once I've seen anything by Brailsford or Team Sky, marginal gains, it's just a red flag for me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Matthew Saeed has, um, you know, got, got a hold of that. <laughs> Come here. So I'll explain, maybe for those who don't know, uh, Atomic Habits is a book by uh, James Clear. And it's kind of a, uh, I suppose it's in the kind of psychology, self-help style. That's yeah. how it's been, it's been marketed anyway. The way I actually came across it because I was because of Carolyn Curd, basically the famous mm-hmm. psychologist who works with Tip and Limerick and the Dubs, Paul O'Connell, and we've been hearing for the last four years, you know, about the great work that she does and people kind of speaking loosely enough about it. But in uh, Nikki Quaid's, Nikki Quaid did an All Ireland's final diary, the great stuff they do with the Examiner, and uh, the Limerick goalkeeper just mentioned that the book was recommended by Carolyn Curd, so I said right. That's interesting. I'll go, I'll get it on the Kindle and see what it's about. And uh, as Eamon has mentioned there, page one, the example of this kind of, what he's basically preaching is macro thinking as opposed to kind of, mm-hmm. you know, it's about t- small little changes you can make that can have substantial differences and to how you can incorporate your environment to better your overall sense of well-being, I suppose. But page one is Team Sky is the example that he talks about for these um uh, marginal gains i suppose is what, is what he, he's preaching now i have to say I, I find with books like this often it's it starts with you wade through a lot of kind of bullshit to get any sort of applicable nuggets so they they pick different examples what i did i as you mentioned there i do think there is some kind of stuff that can be garnered from it maybe just uh you have to sift through a lot to get there and and i think that's the thing with all these whether inverted commas self-help books or or whatever way you want yeah. to call them is that they're not all going to be the magic bullet. And, and I think that's even, even if you look at it from a coaching perspective, chat to different, uh, you know, sports people, no one person or no one book is going to have that one answer. Let's say this, this will start me now. Exactly, yeah. And yeah. if you can maybe take even 10%, 10% is a good amount for, for a book. Um, 5%, if you can take something from every book and you're constantly learning, then you know, adding adding a few more for, few more tools because I, <laughs> I don't know is it, is it a reflection of me, but I've I've read a lot of you know self help books and I found that not not one of them are the that's the magic key that's yeah. the magic bullet. Yeah, yeah, I I'm I'm hundred percent agree with that. I think you're, you're you you might get you might read a three hundred page book and only find five pages yeah. that are actually uh, anyway helpful. Did you use a um, maybe I should have checked this before. Did you use a sports psychologist with Donegal, or maybe Jim's background? You probably didn't need one. I, no, I, I think Jim. I think Jim ticked that box in terms of you know it's something that I wouldn't have a wide bit of experience about. Um, and you know, you, you mentioned Carolyn Curd, and she has an unbelievable CV. Now, 
you'll all, you'll always get the cynical boys that say that yeah. that them teams would have won regardless now. But it's like I I can't really come in too much on the sports psychology debate because I just haven't experienced it firsthand. Um, you know, there's been wee wee bits where you know someone will come in an evening or someone will do a talk, and the sports psychologists themselves will put their hands up and say that's a load of nonsense. You're not going to get anything from you know coming a week before championship and do do a session with us. This has to be an accumulation of 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 work, and um, it's something you know maybe down the line, you know, when you get involved in coaching that that, that you look at, and but. I, I definitely don't have much experience of it because I, you know, I the going back to that atomic habits and the lesson I suppose from that book. One of the examples he gave. This is not groundbreaking stuff here, no, folks. But one of the stuff he gave no, was, you know, um, if you're trying to, if you say you in your head you think I need to drink six liters of water a day, and it's not about motivating yourself. You know, people often talk about this like grand idea of motivation. It's actually just about setting up, you know, so that you get up in the morning there's a bottle of water beside your bed or whatever. You have a bottle of water in your gear bag when you go out to training, and it can just be you create an environment so that reaching that goal is a very kind of logical thing you're not using these grand ideas that i just need to be more motivated or whatever and it goes back mm-hmm. to i remember in jim's book he mentioned a speech he gave in the before the 2012 final and it was like there was no kind of bullshit no emotion none of that it was this is our plan this is what we're going to stick to i think michael spoke after that and just reinforced those kind of set goals that you know it wasn't about uh playing on a emotion or motivation or whatever you want to call it it was a very rational plan that this is our, our tactical plan and we'll go out and execute it ideally perfectly and that'll, that'll lead to you know what we want to get out of this which the ultimate outcome is in all Ireland yeah and you know when I say I don't have experience in sports psychology when you think of that whole experience with Jim in terms of where he brought us that we had an inferiority complex to the likes of Tyrone and Armagh um, looking up at them, no belief in ourselves. And then he had us and he was gradually talking to us every night, every night that we are as good as them. We deserve to be one in all Ireland's. We've the work done. Nobody's going to train as hard. And we obviously have to back that up too. Nobody is going to train as hard as us in the country. I remember him saying that a few nights. Um, and and for that's probably sports psychology in a way. That's the basics yeah. of it. Yeah. Just planting them planting them wee seeds and, and, and getting them to grow. Um, and, I, and I thought that's probably my experience of sports psychology. Just when you were talking there, as I said, Jim was doing sports psychology was. And I, I'd say the vast majority of the time, it is a, a seamless process that it doesn't necessarily have to be somebody who's defined to do, who's, they're just covering the psychology of this thing. There's a guy over here who um, I have did a piece with recently. It's not, it's not been released yet, but uh, Kevin White is, and he's actually only all man, mm-hmm. but he, he works for, um, he used to work for Collingwood and now he works at North Melbourne. And we were talking about uh, how you deal with young players when they're rehabbing. So he gave an example. There's a, a really good documentary here, Making Their Mark, which is an AFL documentary that came out last year. And it was a young kid, mm-hmm. Maddie Rowell, who's the number one draft pick. And when he was doing his rehab, you know, this he's not a normal kid who would just sit and do his rehab. He needs, um, he would have been used to a lot of hype around him growing up. And, uh, you know, the, the idea that so he needs something to aim for. So they decided yeah, that yeah, yeah. If, if they, they're in the documentary, him, the head coach and the high performance manager, all three of them are going to cycle Everest, cycle the height of Everest. So he's during his rehab, he's training to hit that target. Now that's, you know, you, as Kevin said itself, you know, there's no, there's no theory, there's no psychology behind that's going to teach you. This is the, the ideal rehab plan that you need to follow for a 19 year old kid who's out a long-term injury, but it is ultimately sports psychology that you can get a, a young lad to buy into that. And I'm sure like that's what Jim was probably all over, kind of that marriage between, coaching and uh, sports psychology without players necessarily even knowing it, I guess. 
Yeah, and, and, and I'm just wondering, thinking back in Jim, I wonder did he, because he has a background in was that deliberate on his part or was it, you know, that was just his style, style of coaching? Because, you know, there's some good coaches out there that are brilliant sports psychologists that have never went near a degree or, yeah. you know, opened yeah. a book of sports psychology. Um, they're, they're, so, they're so good. And I'm just wondering, did Jim fall into that bracket or was he deliberately saying, Right, this is this is the tools I've learned throughout the years, um, and and I, I must actually ask him someday. Because your your mentality definitely, I've heard you say before <coughs> that you thought the maybe some of the previous Donegal teams. I don't want to put words in your mouth here, so tell me if I'm wrong. I think you said before that they were they're mentally weak, maybe, and that yeah. that was something that. Well, actually, can we start there? What do you mean when you say uh, mentally weak? Mentally weak. Um, you know that that's kind of grown a wee bit now. That that word has evolved a bit for me from when I when I was playing to where where I am now in terms of mentally weak. It's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just that sometimes you just don't have the tools. That, that that's the thing. And right. you know, when I when I talk about mentally weak for for that for that Donegal team, I just thought you know. The game and Cross McGlenn where Armagh hammered us. Um, you know the the fact that we were such party boys. Um, people say it was there was a drink culture. It wasn't necessarily a drink culture or one that was bigger than any other county, because we would have been friendly with you know Mayo players from college. We would have been friendly with you know Derry players, Tyrone players, and you know they they would enjoy their pints as much as much as we did. But you know the fact that. We were partying at times we shouldn't have been partying. I think that was a symptom of this, that wee bit of men- mental weakness that we just didn't have the edge or the, the cutthroat kind of the cutthroat nature to go on to be at that top level. Um, and we just didn't know any better. Like the people that laid the ground for us didn't know. And it was just about that that culture in terms of when when I came into the dressing room, this is the way it was, and this is the this is your behaviours, this is the culture. Um, and I'd like to think by the time we finished up, like we know that had changed, that you know that the, the players coming in expected you were expected to behave in it in a certain way. There were standards. There there was a belief there that you know you deserve to win all Ireland's. You deserve to win you know Ulster medals. And um, I just don't think we we had that. And in the early noughties and 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 up into two thousand and ten, and that that's listen, it is it is what it is. There's loads of counties out there that are in the same boat, but it was just something I perceived as as one of our problems that we were we were mentally weak. And maybe this is a, a chicken and egg question, but does uh, the players change that, or does that come from the top down? And is it someone like Jim? Because I just remember going back to the book again for a second. There was um. I'm sure I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but just for those who, who haven't mm. read it, um, there was a he had a chapter about yourself and your brother and about how you were the the prototype player that the, he wanted in this Donegal team in terms of I think he told a story about Neil having um what was it gym equipment in the boot of his car that uh, uh, he compared him to a uh, some boxer that he met in London that um, yeah this this uh, handshake I remember reading yeah. that I think Neil and, got a good bit of mileage out of that there. And then there was yourself, which was uh, obviously being passionate about representing Donegal, but there was the way you represented Donegal off the field. I think he t- he told you you should have been a teacher because of 
something with there was um i'm butchering the story now i think there was kids at a, a training session or something that he saw you interacted with them and realized i should be teaching but the whole point was that these are the, the prototype players these are the type of guys that i want in my donegal team now it sounds like you might have arrived in a very different restaurant but very quickly um were molded into the the culture that he wanted and i'm wondering did he mold yeah. you or did it come uh more naturally no i th- i think you know there, there was a bit of both in that there listen Myself and Neil are obviously decent skins, I'd like to think, most of the time. Um, but, you know, Jim had a certain expectation. And, you know, as we came into the dressing, we moved away from probably what we felt was should have been natural to us. And then Jim Jim realigned us now. And right, okay. Just to go back to your question, like, is it chicken and egg? I, I think the culture has to be there first. You know, you, you can take in players. Like when Mike, Michael landed in Michael Murphy, he just led it. And he, he led, set an unbelievable standard in the way he trained and the way he prepared and, and whatnot. But, you know, it shouldn't be on Michael to do that because Michael will eventually go. So there has to be a culture in place that, you know, the players just immediately set up and this is your behaviours. This is how you behave when you're in a Donegal dressing room. This is how you behave when you're training for Donegal. And, uh, that is a standard. Doesn't matter what players come in. That that that, that is the level. That's my that's my own opinion. Now you could get far more qualified people to come on and say no. It starts with with it with the players. But for me, that's um it has to start from the organisation. You know, in terms of the management, the people people around them, and Donegal represents something. Represents a culture, and you just follow that on. Doesn't matter what what setup what setup you come into. And, Does and, that makes sense. Uh, absolutely, yeah. And it probably it only benefits the next crop if you have improved yeah. that because they had suddenly have um, a standard that they need to uphold. So they're all kind of buying in. You you have something tangible that you need to aim for, and uh, it's suddenly it, in an ideal world, I guess it would kind of keep rolling over from there, regardless of you know players come and go, managers probably come and go as well. But that in a, in an ideal world stays the same. And that's at a hundred percent, you know, because we have to. And the the thing about it is we have only introduced them in terms of, you know, the, the standard can get, Dublin have raised that standard. Mayo have raised that standard. And and it's up to the lads that are there now to, you know, get to that standard and set set things in place. And I, and I see that happening in Donegal. You know, with, we, we've advertised for an S, a full-time SNC coach that's going to work with the development squads, that's going to work with the under 20 and the senior squads. And, you know, we, we are doing the right things we're ticking the right boxes now and we just have to get uh find another another few levels because unfortunately we just haven't got to you know probably where we see ourselves in terms of them semi-finals yeah. them finals yeah. that i'm not necessarily saying one that um but getting getting to, to that stages and when you look at i think tyrone was a real kick in the gut for uh a lot, a lot of stunning golf folk in terms they see that we would have believed, um, and I'm sure there's a lot of Tyrone people that would um, dispute this, but we believe that we'd had that Tyrone team's number. Um, and Michael Murphy's penalty goes in this year. You know, we beat that Tyrone team. Um, and they go on to win in All-Ireland. And you can say what you want about Tyrone in terms of you've got to respect them. You've got to respect the way that they went out there and won that All-Ireland and the, the belief they have in themselves. And um, that's that's where we just need to... We need to get them. And, that, and that's coming from, you know, that, that work Mickey Hart's done. You know, they, they've come into that dressing room and, 
you know, I believe ability-wise that the team that won the All-Ireland wouldn't necessarily beat any of the team that the Tyrone teams that won any three of the, the All-Irelands in the Noddies. Um, but it's just that they had the belief, they had that that ingrained in them from uh, from a fairly fairly young age that they they deserve to be there. Come here, I want to ask you about um, Congress or maybe the fallout from Congress in a second. But just before we get to that, uh, speaking of mentally taxing, how do you reflect on uh, on Hell Week now? I reflect on Hell Week. It's it's where I should actually done a pre condition here in this interview. We're not allowed to mention Hell Week. <laughs> um, no, obviously there was a bit of pride hurt there now, but it's all it's all about the when you be kind of philosophical about it, it's all about the growth part of it now because, you know, I was there a day um, and I would love to have been there for so so much longer because I just loved to test myself. And I, a lot of it after that was, you know, physical based. And I think I'd be fairly, you know, used to that wee voice in terms of the physical demands that you would get through it, but it was just that fear-based stuff. And it just shows me that I have, like for someone that would have struggled an awful lot with fear throughout his life, um, I still have a wee bit more to go in terms of, you know, getting on, getting on top of that thing, you know, because uh, there, there was a time, you know, you couldn't, you know, you're crippled with that, that, that fear. Um, and, you know, you move to a situation where it's not all over your life. If, 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 if you get me. Yeah. And, then yeah. you get a wee reminder like that there. We you like jumping out of a helicopter is still tough enough, but I, th- I think that you know a, a large part of that was just that I'm still a wee bit you know that fear still has a has a has a wee hold on things now. So it's a good reminder that there's still a wee bit more work to do. Yeah, and I you know um, we don't have to talk about this, we can move on in a second, but it I, I actually because I'm obviously I'm out of the country, I miss the the head week, whatever fallout. So it was only when I knew I was talking to you that I went back and watched it yesterday. Um, to kind of yeah. discover and I was putting myself in the shoes and you know and I, I'd consider myself a bit of a, an adrenaline junkie but it's it's ironic the things that would be a trigger for you maybe that would have been a trigger for somebody else like say for example I don't think the helicopter would have been a challenge for someone like me but if the when you uh tried to ask the question and uh he rears up on you and says uh, shut the fuck up or whatever when you're asking about the swim that for me I just know I the red mist would have descended and I would have been yeah I would have lost it there you know it's, it's like I get you know you probably only discover enough about yourself when you're actually in that kind of that white heat I suppose yeah and, and I think you know I'm on a, on a group chat with all the rest of the, the the crew that done it and from what I gather from just observing them they, they seem to went on this there's way growth in that there um there was way growth in that journey that they went on and you know it, it would have been very very cool just to just to test yourself and go to them places that that they have that, that they went in there um when you see someone like you know Rory stories there, um, he seemed to really learn from it. Um, and you know there's there's a few other few of the girls there that have, you know, kind of they just went to a place that you know not many people go to in, in their lifetime. And you know there's there's definitely a, a lot of growth that now and I would love to have done it. Obviously, listen, I'm making excuses here too, but I only had you know four or five days preparation time because that. Uh, bollocks Stephen Hunt pulled out like so <laughs> I'm blaming Stephen Hunt um for for my escapades in hell week. Uh Eamon how disappointed were you by the outcome of Congress at the weekend? Ah uh, yeah I, I was very I was very disappointed. I, I, I thought 
you know, if you asked me this two months ago, I would say, no, it's, it's, it's going to get through. Um, it's an open goal for the GA here. Like how anybody can argue for the provincial system as it, as it is. Like, I, I just don't understand it. And then they obviously say when people talked about, you know, I would have tweeted something out and, you know, a few people messaged me and says, this more knowledgeable than GA matters to me. And this says this is not going to pass. The provincial council have too much, too much uh, hold and too much sway. And for, for me, that was just kind of, geez, I can't believe we're, we're going to have this conversation. We're going to spend another year. And to be honest, they're, they're talking about, I'm not convinced that this will, uh, I think they'll kick this can down the road again because of the provincial councils. But, you know, the sooner we get it over and sooner we, we move past this, the, as the system as it is, the, the sooner we can, you know, start building and start tweaking it towards what, what we want because we're not going to keep everybody happy. We have to realize that we're, we're like when you hear about you try to fix a problem in the GA and you'll get about a hundred different solutions um, and different directions. So you're never going to keep everything happy, keep everybody happy. But the sooner we start this journey, the, the, the closer we can get to keeping everybody happy, if you know what I mean, because the provincials are done, they're dead. Um, doesn't matter what the Ulster secretary, what the Leinster secretary or any other provincial secretary say they're, as, as part of a all Ireland system um, and a on a road to the Sam Maguire, the provincial provincial government, for them to be um, you know taken into this kicking and screaming is just uh, because it's not, I I personally don't think they're doing it for the negotiation if they, if they did you know hands up and they would go for we need to move away from the system. So I, I mean, I, I'm kind of, um, am I surprised? Maybe not that you're as as against the Ulster Championship as you uh, as you seem to be there. But just for can we dwell on this for a second? Because I do think the there is a sentiment maybe within Ulster that uh, was particularly strong last weekend. And I, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on this. You know, do you think there is a parallel between the we talk about the um, the Ulster state of mind, right? So you go back to you know, is there any parallel? Now you could say this is just a, a media narrative construct and dismiss it, but you look at the weekend, the Antrim chairman comes out and says, we need to be uh, careful with these outside voices. And, and he's speaking against uh, proposal B. Um, you look back a couple of weeks ago and the kind of chip on the shoulder mentality, I know you've mentioned um, the Ulster secretary and the, I, their, how diminished they, how they would view the diminishing of their prize championship. And then you fast forward to, uh, Kieran McGarry, I was thinking the one thing I was thinking was when Kieran McGarry was talking after the Kerry game and he was saying, you know, they said we wouldn't, they said we couldn't, and well, you know, we yeah. know then we did it. And I, you know, you, you know, you can say there's a, literally there's no parallel between this kind of shared ulcer psychology, and it's just a, as I say, maybe like a media narrative that we like to create afterwards. But I'm wondering, like, do you see anything in that that maybe that's uh, that traditional, uh, you know, pride of place? We we have what we have, we hold our own. Is there anything in that at all? There's definitely something in it. There's definitely something in it. You know, I've been called and I've been playing for Donegal from the 14 up, like, and I think from the 16 level, the the, the, the players in the six counties were calling us free staters for, for long <laughs> enough now. So they they see themselves as, and, you know, we, we're all Ulster men up here and there, there's definitely something to it. Now, listen, every other county in the, in the country, we've seen it from what uh, Paddy Andrews was saying during the summer, buys into the season mentality. 
we thought Dublin were a wee bit more pure than that, yeah. and they were all about the process. But you know, everybody buys into it. But just because the Ulster and there's history there, and you know, there's there's definitely stuff outside football that have helped create that and foster that kind of siege mentality. And you know, it's us about them. But and that's why it's maybe a wee bit more pronounced with 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 the Ulster thing. And you know, just. Somebody says there too. I know it's easy for me to say, and I've I've thought this because I have three provincial um medals that I that I can maybe be dismissive of it now, and and you know it's something that I debate with. If I didn't have them, would I be as quick to to discard them now? But uh, but I just think from a logical perspective, from that this provincial system is so that when you have you know Dublin. Kerry just breezing right through to the to the All Ireland series, then it's it's just not uh, it's just not fair in the rest of them. And I should stress too, like this is uh, an exercise in demonising the you know Ulster, for example. That we don't we 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 actually don't know who voted against this. Ulster spoke out against it. Connacht seems like spoke out against it as well. So it, it, like by no means am I coming out here. And saying that they are to blame for the failure of this proposal, and some, no, I mean, not at all, not at all. There's a lot more votes there, all right, than 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 Ulster. But it's just um, they have they have a certain uh, they have a certain way about voicing their opinions. Exactly, yeah. And so, and maybe if we move off to that for a second, and onto something you just mentioned there, I guess my uh, my frustration. I'm like a broken record talking about this, but the same reason that I would be frustrated by the the failure of proposal B is the same reason that. I've been on this podcast, you know, all summer talking about uh, television coverage of GA or the promotion of the game. And it's because you can, I can actually see, I can envisage not that far away, a drastically improved game. Like I can, I can see it there. It's right there. It's within, it's within arm's reach. And for whatever reason, we keep uh, falling short of realizing the true potential of, of Gaelic football. And I guess that's my, my biggest frustration with whatever, whether it be, you know, proposal be or, I've, you know, we talked a lot on this podcast about TV coverage or whatever it is. You know, it's it's a shared idea. Yeah. I, I, I know I keep repeating myself, but it is just it is something that is right there. It's it's tangible. Like we we can see it and we can almost touch it. And for whatever reason, we keep uh, we keep falling short of it. And that for me is the ultimately the most disappointing thing of all this. And it's so frustrating because we have so much potential, as you know, to become so much better than what we are as an organization. And it's so frustrating. See, like this isn't just about championship structure. The split season, in fairness, was was one of them uh, issues that were holding us back. Um, and this is just the one one problem. But I, I think one of the issues is people. Then I say this carefully now: people that are making decisions are incapable of making them in terms of the the administration that we 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 have a case of. We're trying to. They're too amateur, if that's if, if that's the best way of putting it. Um, and I think that's one of the things that are, that's holding us back. Um, the championship structure is a thing that from stopping us becoming a game. The, the funding's an issue. There, there's a few different issues, but I, I think that uh, we, we, we can become so much better. We can you know, this this game that is the you know, t- twice as good as what it is now. And I love it as it is now. I'm so passionate about it. Um, I, like, I just I just want this the organisation, I want the game to be become 
become better and become better for you know the people come come before me or after me so on what you said there there's two there's two parts of this the follow-up from this and what we're talking about here so there's the counter arguments against proposal b which is about it diminishing the provincial structures and the history of the championship and all that sort of stuff and that uh, I, I find it really hard to you know take that stuff seriously when you look at you know you hear the leadstrom chairman talk about an opening round Connor championship game this year his players are walking off the pitch and saying their own family won't come and watch them and they if they go back if they're coming back yeah, to yeah. the same structure next year they're yeah. gone so that that, I, that argument I, there's no absolutely there's no sway in that now where there is a sway in this I think is the on the other side where you have people talking about justifiable criticisms with what was proposal B so and it boiled down mm-hmm. to the development of the game and teams uh, the promotion of the game which I think is, is an important thing and competitive inequality where you have um, Division three and Division four teams getting up into quarterfinals ahead of uh, Division one teams, I, I, you know. Now I, I do think that they are legitimate criticisms, but I would just stress there is no structure in the world that is going to progress Division four and Division three teams. Like no matter what format we come up with, they are there's more fundamental issues with games development officers and funding, and it's a rabbit hole that we mm-hmm. can get down into. So if you fix the structure first and acknowledge that's the first step. I think that maybe that stuff isn't as big a problem. But then you have a, a system in Division One, right, where you have like ultra competitive teams, kind of an elite, a, grow, a strengthening elite, who are playing each other, and it's become like, like, you know, they're all training on this special program, and they are getting more and more and more competitive, and tactically that's progressing further and further. Now, so there is definitely, I do think there is coming up more clear separation in the game. But I also think that we are seeing progress. So I guess this is a roundabout way of asking. When you look at the game now, as a whether it be as a spectacle with your coaching hat on, your former players hat on, are you positive about the current game of Gaelic football? Like where do you see it at the current landscape? I'm not overly excited about next year's All Ireland. Um, and I, th- I think it's been gradually going that way. Um, I'll, I'll, like you have to say that I'm a fanatic. I've, I've been involved in GA since I was, you know. You know, championship the organization was run. I'd, I'd still be involved in it now, but I can imagine from a neutral perspective, someone that's kind of lukewarm about that might go to a game. I think that we're we're probably in a bit bit of bother now because there's just. You know the whole Dublin dominance, the whole the way that the county boards are run, um, and it's just probably just need to take stock. And you say we're we're heading that way, but we're we're heading this kind of strumming against the current. We need to be more open to change, and you know realize that we 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 that myself and yourself can see the potential the game has. Like if everybody could see that there, Mars, then we would be. You know, would be well down this road, think, but yeah. it's um, it's something that uh, it's something that we need to uh, acknowledge that the game's probably not in as healthy a state as uh, as some people think. And that that's the ultimate it's the dichotomy with what we're talking about here, because as as great as you can see the game being, you also have to be realistic about what is you know what is the lay of the land. What are we seeing? Uh, especially amongst the disillusionment uh, as was spelled out for us at the weekend amongst weaker counties. And you kind of have to be realistic and be probably a bit more critical that uh, as good as Gaelic football could be, 
is it in as strong a place as we are led to believe at times? Maybe not. So I think that's it's a it's a conversation that you could you you know you could fall into a long time. But I do think you have to be realistic about these things as well. Uh, yeah, yeah, you have to be realistic. I think that I, th- I just think that leaks from story you told. Like I hadn't heard that that some of the family members don't go to see their their person or their the player play play for the county. That they just couldn't be bothered. I think that sums sums up, you know, what a lot of weaker counties the position they're in. And I think that for 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 that, I think that that's an indictment to the the current system, and that's why we need to need to get away to get away from it. And um, if we can if we can get that story out enough, I think you know change change will come change will come quick. So, uh, Eamon, I had um I wrote I was writing about Seamus Moynihan last week and. Uh, I came across a thing in the archives, which was basically uh, an old article by Kieran Shannon. This is from years ago. And he had an idea where he had uh, mock questions that were beyond the football knowledge higher level exam. So his example was um, Morris Fitzgerald has as many poor performance in Crow Park as good ones. And all Seamus Moynan has over Cork's Kieran Sheehan, where his Celtic crosses discuss. So in a similar vein, I've been inspired. And I have two questions here for you. So uh, the art of defending is dead in the modern game, and Jim McGuinness ruined Gaelic football. Discuss. <laughs> the art of defending is dead now. Listen, um, oh, GZ, have you another hour to go? Here? <laughs> um, I think it's just such a lazy trope. Uh, the art of defending is like we've we've do so much work on defending now that you see if you're going into any coaching. And you know, coaching session and observe it. There's a lot of work being done on the tackle and what the tackle. Um, the art of defending isn't good. It's just that players, the forwards, have so much space now. We've got more space, and they're conditioned so much better. They're just able to get away, and they make it look like the art of defending. But some of the some of the actual base of defending have been brilliant. Like you seen that Peter Hart block during the. I think it was for the Kerry game. Um, real textbook stuff. Seeing some of the, the the contacts and the dispossessions that Tyrone were about, and and other teams were about, and in, in that Tyrone Kerry game, you know the their ball Tyrone were kicking the ball, kicking the ball, and you know Kerry were fit to deal with. Kerry were coming out and you know getting on top and one one in the ball, getting a hand in, and you know that was great to see. Like so, I, I don't buy into the the art of the defending is. Is dead at all now. The art of defending is, is grand, and you know it's just about what the what the game needs. The game needed when when the blanket defense was in. The game needed you know people communicating, people man to man defending. And now you see it's kind of going away from that again. There's a way bit more space, so we'll we'll see it, and we we've seen it in, in a lot of games that. That one-to-one defending, that tackle, that block, and all that—that—that's—that's that's on the way. That, that's always been there, but you'll just see it more in terms of. It's definitely not dead now. Um, and Jim McGuinness ruined football. I think we've had this debate on loop since uh, 2011. Um, Jim yeah. McGuinness never ruined football. Jim McGuinness had a vision of how we wanted to play, and how we wanted to defend, and you know, foundation 2011. 
defensive system is very difficult. 2012, we moved on, and like anybody that says we we're all productive, we just wasn't watching the games. Played some real good back in football. Um, Murphy's goal in the All Ireland final was a great example of that. Um, what happened with the way is that a lot of coaches came in rather than they just copied and pasted the whole thing. They just says to says to themselves, Jim McGuinness is doing this and this. You see it in GA coaching all the time is what's happening? Who's the top team? Dublin. Right, we'll copy what Dublin do. Donegal won in All-Ireland. We'll copy what Donegal do. And this is what a lot of coaches, and it was so simple. Like The coaches didn't have to explain much concepts. Everybody back, stand there and shut. And it turned games, like there, there wasn't a lot of thought to that there in terms of, you know, we're seeing it now where people are talking about pressing up. You know, coaches, and I've seen, seen it myself with, with the club this year, the coaches are coming in and saying, press up. And that's like, it's, it's the same thing, right? Go play sweeper. Well, what, what's a sweeper? What's your idea of a sweeper? Oh, just play sweeper. Like, just pre- press up and, you know, there's space at the back. And, and how, how, do we, how do we press up? And, you know, this is, this is a thing that you, you'll see it. And as this game kind of evolves a wee bit more with teams pre- pressing up, is that coaches that are just are not qualified or just don't have the coaching down what the press up actually means that so it's come out and say everybody press up and what happened defensive error was there games finishing five five four six four or what what happens now and and in this area you'll see a, a few teams that are doing this press up and it'll go the opposite way whether it'll be three seventeen to to whatever and you know it'll become nearly too too easy um and and it's, it's, it was just all the do. It was just coaches that were just lazy coaches and couldn't be bothered, and um, you know finding their own thing and maybe making their own weak tweaks that uh, that ru- that ruined uh, a few good games. And we were always going to evolve, going like people thought this was <laughs> football was going to go. So I, I was probably I was being a bit provocative, obviously, with that question, and you know, like uh, as as obviously I like in to- totally agree with you. But I think Sorry, they, I chatted for a long time there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think they're connected concepts, right? They, they are. The reason I kind of brought up those two things there for was there is a, there's a similarity between the two, which is that so the art defending is dead. It's just it's a really, as you say, I think it's a really lazy criticism because you can see like immense defensive skill within a game and still it can be, you know, high scoring and high attacking. You know, like I was thinking about this in relation to when I wrote about it, I was writing about Seamus Moynihan. You know, Seamus Moynihan has that famous block in 2000. He jumps on Ushim Convil's boot and stops him and Kerry go on and win on All-Ireland. Now, Ushim Convil scored 1-9 in that game. You know, so you saw like there was Moynihan yeah. really well. The reason I was writing about that is because it's similarities with somebody like Ronan McNamee. You flash forward to him on David Clifford. And, you know, are you telling me that, you know, he is a, a, a classic art of you know at the modern defender but uh like he went up field scored a point was on Clifford's boot for the whole game but he's up against you know one of the best footballers we've ever seen and he concedes what was it six points uh from play that day so you know I I think it's kind of a lazy criticism where you're looking at numbers and you say oh well if a forward can kick that much then obviously it's uh and I especially think the reason that I bring this up is because what has happened the reason that it's so hard to be a defender now is that the conditions have become where you have these coordinated attacks so it's basically about maximizing high percentage plays basically so for a, for a defender it's no longer one-on-one battles it's no it's no longer a case where if you cancel out your man because your man might be 
the the beneficiary of a 40 passing play where he ends up at the yeah. top of the D because they've coordinated this play and suddenly you know the, the ball goes over the bar. Now you've done nothing wrong. It's it's the conditions didn't suit the same way conditions didn't suit forwards for the uh, much of the last decade. Conditions don't necessarily suit defenders in what we've seen over the last two years. And that's before you even get started talking about the the rules. But it, it goes back to what you said there about evolution because if you know you you trace the evolution of football for let's say this century. And I, I wanted to ask you about this and where you see it going maybe next because. <clears throat> You look at 2003, you've got Tyrone and people are shocked that they have the goal for, you know, to bring their half forward line back into their own half, for example. And it's, it, it seems like this stunning thing. 2009, Kerry come along and uh, a bit more directness, but it was, it was coordinated directness. You know, like they played, that team they played in 2009 when it had, you know, I, they played Cork in the final that year. Tommy Walsh is in full forward. And, you know, the, the rest of the players around them are making, creating space for Tommy Walsh. So he might be at the top of the D, but you have Darren O'Sullivan in one corner and Cullen Cooper in the other corner. Neither of them scored that day, I don't think. Paul Galvin on the wing didn't score that day. Declan O'Sullivan sent it forward. So all of them are working back and then accurately delivering ball into whoever it is, Tommy Walsh. You come along to what Donegal did 2012, the peak of your Donegal team. And that was a team that was, you know, perfectly suited yeah. to what they have at their disposal. So it's, you, you ha- when you have the likes of yourself, your brother, uh, Carl Lacey, to do the job at the back, you can actually prime and you can have Michael Murphy and Colin McFadden at the top at the other end to be more effective. So it, it's just, it's what we have at our disposal. We're getting the most out of that. Dublin come along and reinvent it. Now, this is a long-winded question, but the reason I bring all that up is because this common dream, right, amongst the successful teams all the way along there, is that it's a coach looking at what does he have at his disposal and how do I set up a team to get the most out of what I have here? So Jim McGinnis looked at what that Donegal team was and set up a team to get the best out of them. Kerry did the same thing. And the problem, as you mentioned there, isn't that defending is dead or isn't that um, Jim McGinnis doing Gaelic football. It's that teams try and copy. It's we're, We are a copycat nation and we're a copycat sport. So they just take the exact same format and throw it onto teams that it doesn't suit at all. So, like, I, you know, when people talk about the blanket defence, I don't even think about 2012. I think about 2013 and watching, you know, a Cavan team with Darren McVitie in at his own halfback line or Keen Mackey running around, that they suddenly teams started copying this format and it led to the dissension on that. But I don't think it's about... Jim, all Jimmy James did was look at what was at his disposal and get the best out of it. Every other team is the problem, you know. <laughs> it's, it's kind of bad coaching that leads us to, to blame that or what we're talking about now. It's, it's, bad, it's bad coaching, surely. It's bad coaching, surely, and and I think you know it's when we talked early in the conversation about problems within the GA, I think that's the big problem too. That you know we have a lot of coaches out there in the circuit taking the check at the end of the week, and they don't actually have a Scooby Doo what they're doing. Um, and and I think that's to demoralising a lot of players. Um, and it's even in the county game. Maybe it's something that we, we need to look at because there's a wild appetite for coach education in the, in the GA. And I think, you know, maybe we could look at, you know, maybe a badge system like soccer, that if you want to coach at a certain level, you need to have your badges done and you need to understand concepts. Because from from what I can see, and like I've seen it, um, it says I've seen it with the, with the club this year, that, you know, a lot of people coaching teams do not understand the concepts. And don't understand what uh, what the game's about in terms of what when they say the offensive, the defensive, and they 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 don't know how to break break down them different uh, different parts of the game. They can run a drill, no bother. Run a drill. They can run a drill from point A to point B. But in terms of you know coaching that how to play the game and how to play the 
the the different kind of the different transitions uh, they, they just really really struggle and I, I spoke to Niall Ronan and somebody the administrative transition coach who's very passionate thoughts about this I spoke to him about this recently and he was telling me you know he compares it to rugby for example and he is shocked at how easy it is to rock up at a weekend course and get your coaching badges in the GA versus the the lengths you need to go to from rugby and you know like look, we're comparing professional amateur sports here but this is the repercussions of that kind of um uh, what you call it, that kind of ease of access that you would you do get to a stage where from I, I think that's a great idea for example just to have kind of a, a pyramid system where as, as you mentioned whether it be badges or something like that that you could kind of progress and they would as I keep you know keep going back to the core theme of a lot of what we're talking about here it would only be for the betterment of the game yeah and you know when you mentioned amateur coaches you have to remember a lot of these amateur coaches are, are you know they've no bother taking the check <laughs> yeah, or taking yeah. a few pounds at the end of the week you know that they're there, and I remember we went to approach a coach with the with the club, uh, two thousand seventeen, and um, you know he threw out a ridiculous figure, ridiculous figure for for the night, and you know thankfully we didn't get them because you know it turned out he wasn't too good, um, but like has has we we says how can you expect the club to to pay that and um. He says, "Well, I, I have a mortgage to pay for. Like I'm putting time into, and and that's the way he's seen it. Like, is he the see? He's seen the job with our club as a as a vehicle to pay Income, his yeah. pay his mortgage. Um, and you know, thankfully we got lucky. We got Michael Boylan, and you know, someone really, really knowledgeable. Uh, unfortunately, Michael's working in London now. Um, but he he's such a loss of the game. He's such a loss of the game. And and Donegal, and I think that you know, had Michael stayed about." You know, he he. There was big things going to happen for for Michael as, as a coach. So hopefully we'll 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 see him again. But he he was definitely someone that understood the game and understood how you. I think most coaches understand, like they they know football, but it's how you communicate that then to your team and how you kind of understand that coaching uh, methodology um, is is key is key to the whole thing here. Do you see any uh, tactical evolution on the horizon? Like, you know, we talked there about from uh, direct football to blanket defences to these high percentage plays to what we've probably seen in the last couple of years, which is five goalkeepers. Do, uh, um, this is probably a speculative question, but do you mm-hmm. see where we're going next? It's, it's funny you ask that because, you know, I went to watch the Donegal semi-final there yesterday. Um, you know, Kilcower playing Neve Connell and... I was just looking at me, what's the next, I was just looking at the game and thinking, what's the next step here? Where do we go from, you know, teams will either attack, counter-attack at pace. If that doesn't work out, they go into, you know, this this horseshoe system and try, try and work it out. It'll go out for a kick out. They'll get whatever kick-up press they do. And you know it's kind of a variation. Most teams, most teams are doing that. So, in terms of the defensive thing, they'll they'll press. Some teams aren't pressing. Some teams will have two or three men press and drop back, or they'll have, you know, the full team press and gradually come back with with the play, and you'll end up put fifteen behind the ball. I think that's what we've seen with the when when Dublin had the fifteen men behind the ball. And um, so I'm just thinking, what's what's the next stage? And um, we've we've got the fly keepers, and and you know what. 
I'm working on the answer. I'm not. I'm not at the stage yet um, where where I have an answer now. But I, th I think possibly with with the mark, I don't think we're utilizing with the mark when when we do encounter that horseshoe system, or you know when we're working the horseshoe and we're, we're trying to get that scoring opportunity, is that possibly we can maybe have a, st a system or. Uh, set a play a play like american football whether we create space we get it to the man in terms of he takes a mark and uh, it's 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 over the bar but that's just one aspect of play in terms of the whole overall aspect of play i think you know we might as teams realize that we can't actually press up we don't have the personnel you go back to what whatever the team suits we don't have the personnel um i'm working with eamon mcgee here he cannot go man to man um, out the field, we need to take. We might go back to teams. They'll say, "Bugger this for crack." Uh, we'll go back to the defensive stay. We'll go back to just retreating behind the ball and leaving leaving two men up, like and trying to perfect that. I think we'll might go back to that before we uh, uh, go to go to anything else. Yeah, I, it's funny. I think you know you mentioned manufacturing the mark opportunities there. It's something that I kind of played around with, but. Uh... My uncle about here in Australia is, you know, how, like, you know, just as an idea. And I think the whole thing you're trying to stress to lads is that, you know, for football is for as long as we've known it has been about risk and reward. So, you know, the the risk in yeah. a situation like that is if you kick a ball in, and which often happens, especially in club football, is that if he doesn't gather that mark clean, he's going to be descended on and he's going to be swallowed up whole basically. And uh, so the reward is a mark and a very easy scoring opportunity. The risk is that, and I I, I would hope to see that. I wonder. Will we now see an evolution where that uh, the tactical trend is more towards the reward rather than the risk? That so you see, like we go back to the example we talked about at the very start. Defend Seamus Moynihan was a defender who lived in an area where he had no protection, so he always marked you know Park Joyce, Oshie McConville from the front. Now that was a big, big risk because the ball's in behind; it's a goal. Yeah. But the reward is that he wins the ball clean and it allows you know this swashbuckling football that Kerry wanted to play come off. And similarly, you know, I wonder you mentioned you just touched on the press there. Like I would love to see. Is there going to be a team who looked at what Tyrone did against Kerry in the All Ireland final and got a goal off that and said, fuck it, like we'll leave, we'll overload the other end of the press. So, you know, if we're exposed, we will leave five forwards up. So if we win this ball off that press and we get it for it, it's a goal. Like the goal is on there. You, you, you just take that, you know, yeah. look at the whisk and reward here and take that opportunity to try and go get, get o either get over that press or just win a manufacturer chance to win the ball and move the ball quickly. And that you might see just a bit more people kind of lean towards the fact that instead of often thinking, what's the worst thing that can happen? You might see coaches and the game as a result start to think, what's the best thing that could happen? And that might lead to some sort of progress and a better spectacle, which is ultimately what we're talking about here. And, and I think, you know, you go back to, you mentioned Tyrone, you look at um, Cal McShane's goal for the All-Ireland final. I, I don't think that ball, Conor, Conor Mailer puts the ball yeah. in. And yeah. would that ball have been played, you know, five years ago? And that and, and that that Tyrone team, um, it wasn't a high high percentage ball in. It was, I don't want to say speculative because you know Conor Mailer knew what he was doing when he put it in. He knew that the person that he was putting it into, um, but it was a it was a, as you say, it was a high risk ball, um, and I, I don't think that goes in. And I think that's what you know possibly teams. I agree hundred percent. Will start. Going to wars, we'll start saying, you know what, hey, we'll have a real cut at it here. Um, and we'll just make peace that we're going to lose balls, we're going to get balls turned over. Um, but we we will have a we will have a cut at it. And 
you know, po- possibly something that I, that I was kind of toying about with myself was if people are going to get back in the defensive structure, so we, like, say we're playing the team more, so we lose the ball, is that we keep four men up regardless. So them four men stay up and they trust that the defensive structure holds. So we're getting, once the ball, we get the ball back, that them four forwards are just fresh and re- ready to go at it. Um, rather than coming back and, you know, they're tired by the time we get the ball and working work that horseshoe or working that um, ball over and back and that they're going. And, you know, they're trusting that the, the, the defensive defensive structure uh, holds up and is able, able to deal with the, what's been thrown at them. Yeah, I love that. And you know, going back to what we said earlier about the, the intent behind this kind of stuff, the reason that I love something like that is because not only is it, you know, you're talking about what what's what the desired outcome from what you want to see. So it's not only about like, are we leaving four forwards up? You're kind of trusting in that I can get the remaining players to, you know, get into a zone of shape that they in themselves, you know, there's, there's trust there that we can execute that tactical evolution, right? Because, you know, it's not about just saying or just stay up and leaving it at that and not coaching your defenders to <laughs> get into a zone of shape or whatever so it, it's nearly it's a challenge as a coach for someone like yourself or whoever it is who, who's listening to this to be able to say i i trust i'm going to try and back in my players abilities and my ability to get them into a system where they don't need this the safety blanket of 15 players behind the ball that they can actually they can execute what we want to do with slightly less numbers and going back to what i said at the very start that you know, it's a, it's a risk. It definitely is a risk to not get as many players back. But the reward is the fact that if we do get that turnover and we've got four players up the field, you know, whatever our entries, our scoring opportunities, the scores we get will be dramatically increased because those players, as you mentioned, will be yeah. fit and ready. And if you say, like, say Michael Murphy was, he's just the first man that springs to mind. That Michael's not back and he's not forced trying to get force that turnover or you know, making that block or getting the contact that he, he's up the field and he's able to deliver, you know, that's 100% concentrate in that offence. And he's making fresh and he's, you know, he might be, man might be picking him up that has, after making a long bus and run forward, we've lost, the opposition team have lost the ball and Murphy is able to, you know, everything he's about then is on the offensive style of it rather than back worrying about with turnovers and, defensive shape and the zonal press and all that and you probably you asked the question of whoever they're against as well like are, are you going to get forward and attack when you know that you know it, it becomes very clear to you Michael Murphy isn't going to follow you like whatever you know you're leaving him free exactly exactly because you, you you think about it you think about it you're going to put a damn good player in Michael Murphy or like Cal McShane or who, whoever whoever that you're going to put one of your top defenders and normally they're good enough ball players too um so you're going to think, right, if my man is not tracking me back, I'm leaving him up. I'm going to look like a bollocks because he's just going to stay up there. And people will call it cheating. You know, we, we've seen this phrase, oh, he's cheating, he's cheating, he's not tracking back. Like, But I would always flip it and say it's trust that the, the Michael Murphys or, or whoever else is are, are trusting that defensive defensive structure that they, they'll get uh, they'll get the turnover and there's enough work done that uh, that'll work out. Um, I could probably talk to you this about this for, for another hour happily, but uh, I better let you get back and enjoy I it. I know, I know, I know. Jeez, <laughs> I love, I love the, the podcast. Um, and well, we were lucky enough that the twins didn't, didn't come near us too much now. It wasn't <laughs> you were chatting football. Thanks a minute for coming on today.
Marsh, appreciate that. Tef, good to chat to you, man.